Good morning, everybody. Grab your handout that you were given when you came in this morning. Grab your Bibles, whatever you're going to read Scripture on, and uh, get ready. We'll jump into the message in just a moment. Before I get into the message in a new series this morning, though, I wanted to take a, a family moment, since we're family here at Eastside. We do this periodically, so that I have a chance to tell you some of the things that are going on, and, and you'll, you'll get a chance to catch up on what's happening around uh, in our midst a uh, couple of things I wanted to share with you this morning is um, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we did take it to the streets. Several of us went out in the communities and prayed with people. We've been getting reports back from some of those prayers and some of the ways that people were prayed for and cared for, and that's been exciting. We also also wanted to let you know that um, our communities that we walked into and just said we're going to uh, receive food for our local food bank. Uh, gave us a uh, little over 950 pounds of food uh, last a uh, couple weeks ago, and we, all, we delivered all of that to the local food bank, so we're, we're glad for that. Wanted you to know about that, something to celebrate. I also wanted to let, let you know about a prayer effort that's going on here in our community, around the city, around the, uh, the region, that I've been a part of, gathering pastors and church leaders together. A couple weeks ago, I gathered on a Thursday night in downtown Wichita, with just leaders, just pastors. I don't, I don't know for sure how many there were, were there in the, in the meeting. Uh, I'd say probably close to 100 leaders, 100 pastors from uh, churches around the area gathering together to pray and, and just confess to God that we haven't always been one church, but to proclaim that we are one church and ask that God will redeem the city and, and draw the city to himself. And it was an incredible time. I wish all of you could have been there. And so we're planning a time in the spring. We don't have a date or a place yet. But we're planning a time in the spring when we'll invite the entire city, every believer in the, in the city of Wichita, to gather and pray for the city and pray that God will redeem Wichita. And I'm incredibly excited about it. One, one of the highlights of the evening that night was when a guy from Israel, uh, keep in mind now, this is an Israeli Christian follower of Jesus, Messianic Jew, um, stood and shared a bit, prayed for the group, and then immediately after that, a guy from the Arab world, who's also a Christian, stood, and those two embraced one another. And uh, you just have to realize that's a miracle of God when that happens, when two, two people from the very different parts of the world come together and praise the same Lord, and we all celebrated that. So God's doing amazing things. I want you to know about that. A lot, of, a lot more exciting news coming. Also, I want to remind you that uh, middle December will be our greatest gift offering. And over the next few weeks, we'll be doing reports from some of the people and some of the ministry partnerships that we have here at Eastside and the ways that the dollars you've given over the last year or so are being uh, allocated and used and to change lives in the lives of people all around this community and around the world. We have 14 ministry partners now which means we're in deep relationship, ministering together, partnering together in the kingdom. Four of them are local. Uh, let's see, let me get this right. Yeah, four are local, uh, and the rest are both either national or international. I figured up yesterday, I wanted to know, um, this is hard to imagine. I know it's a huge number, but the, the number of people's lives who are being touched either directly or indirectly through our ministry partnerships is over one and a half million people. Isn't that mind-boggling? Isn't that amazing? Um, churches all over India, most of, those, most of that number is in India. 
We have four par- ministry partners in India. We have ministry partners in Nicaragua, Honduras. I'll be in Honduras in a couple weeks or so, uh, two or three weeks from now, uh, celebrating the first graduation of the very first graduating class of the Tumi School that we have there, the, the, the ministry institute that's a, essentially a, a seminary-level education. The first, the graduating class has 35 students in it. You have funded that, and we've partnered with Central Christian, and we have funded that effort, and there are 35 students who are graduating with a seminary education. Many of them will plant churches around the Tegucigalpa area, and I'm going to be there to speak for that graduation and uh, celebrate with them. What, what God's doing in and through you and through the giving of greatest gift is incredible. Last year, you gave $200,000, uh, 70% of which we've given away to our ministry partners, and God's using it and multiplying it to, to glorify himself and, and multiply the kingdom. So I wanted you to know about that. Some of our ministry partners will be here. Some will be sending videos. We'll share those with you over the next few weeks, but I wanted to let you know that that's coming again and uh, some of the things that God's been doing as a result. So a lot to celebrate, right? And uh, so now we're going to jump into a new message series called Wired for Worship, and this will be the first message in that series. Are you ready for that? I'll have to just confess to you, um, this is not what I had originally planned for the month of November. I was thinking and praying about a a completely different message series, but the more I prayed about it, the more God just kept saying, no, it needs to be a, a, a series on worship. And I argued with him, and he won. And so we're going to talk about worship. And here's the deal. I'm, I'm excited about it. And, and I think that God wants us to focus on Him and experience a renewed focus on worship and, and experiencing, as Brandon was saying, experiencing the gift of His presence and His power and, and His work in our lives. So are you ready for that? Let's jump into the series on worship. Worship is something everybody does. Everybody does this. We are wired, we are hardwired to worship. Everybody worships something, someone, uh, you know, all, the, all through our lives. So it doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist or a Baptist. It doesn't matter if you're 22 or 72. It doesn't matter if you're brown, black, white, uh, tan, or somewhere in between. Every, rich or poor, everybody worships something or someone. Uh, everybody, even non-Christians worship. Um, now, the object of our worship could be different than Christians. I mean, as followers of Christ, we worship the one true God. Some people, their, their worship, their object of worship is money or popularity or, or sports. It's easy to see this. I mean, you, you can see it everywhere you go, right? You can watch people's lives, and you can tell by what, the way they live their lives. Or, or you could go to a concert, or you could go to a sporting event, and you could watch how people automatically respond, Right? See, uh, maybe you'll see your favorite team. Now, now, hold this picture here for a second. Notice that these people are raising their hands. And it's interesting to me that people go to sporting events and concerts, and they raise their hands, and it, at sporting events and concerts, they're called fans, right? But if they come to church and raise their hands, they're called fanatics. <laughs> what, what, is, what is up with that? Now, I'm not saying is there's anything wrong. See, I noticed even Darth Vader got converted here. <laughs> um, it doesn't, it, I, okay, hear me, hear me clearly, hear me well. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a favorite sports team or a, an artist or, a, or going to a, enjoying those things, entertainment and all. I, there's nothing, I do that too. I, I watched the Royals whip up on the Mets last night. <laughs> Come on, somebody. 
But, so there's nothing wrong with that, right? But we have to be careful about whether or not it's an object of worship. You agree with that? We have to be careful about what we worship. Um, because, you know, if you're a worshiping person, if you're worshiping anything other than God, that thing or that person is not going to be there for you. If you're worshiping Taylor Swift, she is just going to shake you off. <laughs> she is going to sh- Now, some of you are too old to even know what I'm talking about. The truth is, I am too old to know that too, but I have kids and grandkids, so I understand. She is not going to care about you. If something happens in your life, she is going to shake you. She, she is not even going to know about it. She's not going to care. But we, when we worship the one true God, we worship a God who knows everything about us, and he is there for us. He knows the number of hair on your head. He knows everything about you, and he is there for you. He, he invites us to worship him so that we can experience his love, and we can love him back. That's one of the many things that happens in the midst of and as a result of worship. Now again, there's nothing wrong with having sports teams and all those other things to enjoy as entertainment. We just have to make certain that we worship the one true God. This morning I want to look at a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 16. So turn to Acts 16 if you would and let's, let's take a look at that together. While you're turning to Acts 16, let me tell you what's happening here. This is, this is a time and place where Paul and Silas, the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he and Silas have traveled through what we know now as modern-day Turkey. They've established several churches. They've encouraged churches. They're on a missionary journey. Now they have crossed over the, the strait there, the water, and now they're in Macedonia, which is now modern-day Greece. He met, Paul and Silas met Luke there, who actually wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote Acts. So Luke writes this as from a first-person perspective. He's joined the journey. He's tra- they're traveling down the coastline of what we know as Greece. They've gone through several cities you'd be familiar with, and now they're at a city called Philippi. Some people call it Philippi. It's actually called Philippi. The, the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians is the letter written to the group of people here. The, the city of Philippi is a Roman colony. It's filled full of uh, a lot of people who have gra- who've, who've, uh, retired from the military, from the Roman military. And, and so it's very Romanized. It's very, it's very secular in nature. They've got a th- it's, a, it's a very well-developed city, very well-developed, sophisticated culture. And Paul goes and he finds, he actually finds, you'll notice the first part of Acts chapter 16, he runs into a woman named Lydia. And she, it says she is a worshiper of God. And he begins to tell her who Jesus is, and she becomes the first convert, she and her family, the first convert to Jesus in Philippi. She invites them to stay in her home. That's where the first church in Philippi is established there in her home. And now they're going along uh, preaching the gospel, and we'll pick up the story from there. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It happened, you know something's coming, right? And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, this is Luke writing here, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. 
She continued doing this for many days. Now, can you imagine just walking around the city, proclaiming who, who Jesus is, and this girl is following you along, shouting to people this is the, uh, who these men are. It was very irritating, and which is what we find out that happened to Paul. It says, Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit. Now, notice he says this to the Spirit. He's not talking to the girl. He's talking to the Spirit in the girl. It's an evil spirit. He says to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. And when her master saw that the hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into, uh, into confusion, being Jews. And they're proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or observe being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their, their feet in the stocks. Now, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we could all tell stories about days we've had that are bad days, but I really doubt that any of us have had a day like this. I mean, has anybody ever been beaten with rods, thrown in prisons, you know, locked your... This is what would be called a no-good, very bad day, right? Paul and Silas, I mean, they're just minding their own business, and here they are, they're serving God, they've traveled many miles, they're trying to proclaim the gospel, and then they get beaten with rods and thrown in prison. What is that? I mean, they've got a lot of reason to be upset, wouldn't you say? Let's pick it up here at verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were griping and complaining to God about their situation. Is that what it says? No. Notice what it says. This is amazing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I just pause for a second, because I think it's important for us to be reminded that people are watching us. And in the midst of our circumstances, they're watching our attitudes, and they're listening to what we say, aren't they? And they're watching the way we deal with our circumstances. And so it matters how we respond and how we trust God in the midst of our circumstances, doesn't it? Because people are watching. Verse 26. So they've been praying and praising, singing hymns of praise to God. Verse 26. Suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And he called with lights for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he'd brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
Now, I want to encourage you to write this down. Your praise will bring freedom to you and to other people around you. Your praise, your praise, your prayer will bring freedom to you and to the people around you. It's very important for us to remember that, isn't it? I want to talk this morning about three things related to worship. The first one is the purpose of worship. The purpose of worship. Follow along in your handout. You'll want to fill out your outline. The purpose of worship. Why do we gather? Why do we worship? Why is this so important for us? Why do we sing worship songs on Sunday morning as we gather together? You know, a lot of people think that the singing is just the warm-up to the Word, but it really isn't. As we sing praise to God, we are proclaiming His truth. We sing songs like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's a passage of Scripture right out of Revelation 4. It's also found in Isaiah chapter 6. We are singing and proclaiming the truth and the power of God's Word and His promises over us. And we're singing and proclaiming that confession to God, even in our singing and our praise and worship. We, we tr- we're trusting that God is in our midst Worship, A, worship reminds us of who God is. It reminds us that God is our Father. He is on His throne, as we've been singing. It reminds us that He is Alpha and the Omega. He's our Creator. He's, our, he's, our, he's the author of our faith. He's our Father. He's our Counselor. He's our Lord. He's our Prince of Peace. He's our Comforter. I could go on and on and on. That's who God is. It reminds us of who God is. Secondly, it, it reminds us of what God can do. Worship reminds us that God is on His throne. He has power. He has dominion. He has control over all things. And that's what we're proclaiming when we worship and praise the King of Kings. You see, God's power is bigger than your problem. God's power is bigger than my problem. Say that with me. God's power is bigger than my problem. You believe that? It's true. He is in complete control. Even when life seems like it's out of control, God is in control, and His power is bigger than my problem. See, it reminds us that our focus must be on Jesus and not on us, not on me. My focus has got to stay on Jesus and not on me. When we worship, we put our eyes on our Savior and not on our circumstances. You agree with that? That's what happens when we worship. When you worship, you can't worry. Somebody ought to tweet that. right? When you worship, you can't worry. You can't sing praise and the blues all the same time. Right? You say, oh God, you're so good. It doesn't work. You can't sing worship and praise and the blues all the same time. Psalm 105, verse 4 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Psalm 121, I will lift my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We need to be reminded in our praise and our worship that we're worshiping our Creator. And if He's he's our Creator, He has the ability to fix us. Do you agree with that? If He created us, He can fix us. And I don't know about you, but almost every day, I need to get fixed. 
My creator does that for me as I fix my eyes on him. I wanted to share a letter with you that a daughter wrote to her parents uh, while she was in college. She says, Dear Mom and Dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my dorm set off by student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly, and we've moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant, and he got fired when they found out about his drinking problem. So we're going to move to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of our baby, your loving daughter, Susan. P.S. None of this really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class and I'm out of money, and I wanted to keep all of this in perspective. <laughs> perspective matters, doesn't it? So what are you focused on? Are you focused on your problems or are you focused on the Lord who can fix your problems? Perspective matters. God's always bigger than your circumstances and He changes our perspective on everything. Last week, Kathy was in southwest Kansas and Ulysses, Kansas, ministering at another church and telling the church there that that church and others in the community are partnering with Hope Ranch for Women. And the pastor's wife there, uh, Paulette Borthwick, has had has had stage four cancer now for over three years, right? Um, incredible. Just now cancer all through her body, but the most amazing, joy-filled woman you've ever met. And her, now I'm sure she has her moments perhaps, but when you meet her and when you talk to her, her eyes are fixed on Jesus and not on her circumstances. It's just, it was just an amazing blessing for Kathy to be with her and spend time. She was here in Wichita this, just this week getting surgery on her eyes because all the treatment she's gone through, she, she was losing her sight. That went well, by the way. And God's powerfully at work in her life. And she is an incredible testimony of who God is because she's got her eyes on Jesus and not on her circumstances. See, Paul and Silas had extreme circumstances, but they were determined to focus on God and His power rather than the darkness of the hour. That's what we need to do, friends. Are you with me? This is important for us to know, for us to live, and for us to practice. They could have complained about their situation. They could have complained about their pain. They had every reason to be mad at God. They've given their lives to God. They're traveling through Turkey and down, down through Greece. They've left their families behind. They've given everything. They, they've risked everything to do what... And they're, now they're, they've set this girl free. They're helping her. And what do they get? Beaten and thrown in prison. But they made the choice to rejoice. You know, they could have been sitting in prison singing, you know, I'm stuck in Philly prison. <laughs> Using their chains as a, you know, a way to keep the beat. But they didn't. They were using their chains to keep the beat, maybe, but it was a beat of praise and singing praise to the one true God who has the power to be with them and set them free. And that's exactly what happened as they gave themselves to praising God. They made the choice to rejoice. They were held, they knew they were held in the power of God's grace, not in the power of the chains on their legs. Very important for us to remember that. 
Secondly, let's talk about the power of worship. We've talked about the purpose of worship. It reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of what He can do. It reminds us to stay focused on Jesus and not on ourselves. The power of worship. Notice that after Paul and Silas praised God, prison bars were opened. They put praise and prayer in front of everything else. And they put their confidence in the power of God. When you praise and you pray, God's power paves the way to victory. Are you with me? Everybody agree with that? When you praise and you pray, God's power paves the way to victory. Praise isn't just the result of victory. Praise proclaims the power of victory even before it happens. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, Yet you are holy, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Another translation says God inhabits the praises of His people. You know what he's saying here? He says, when you praise, when you praise me, I inhabit that. I put my throne, I put my presence, I put my very power and presence right in the midst of your praise. That's His promise, not mine. That's God's promise to us. That he is with us in the midst of our praise. He inhabits those moments. That's true whether we're by ourselves or whether we gather together. He promises he'll be with us. So no matter what your situation, no matter how big or bad or ugly, when God's in it with you, his power will break the chains and open the doors on your behalf. Notice that they were praising God right in the middle of the night. It says about the midnight hour. Have you ever had one of those nights? You ever had one of those nights when right in the middle of the night, in the darkest hour, everything seems bigger than life, and it seems like your problems and your circumstances are going to completely overwhelm you? Anybody else ever had one of those? Am I the only one in the room who's ever had one of those nights? Where you wake up in the middle of the night, and it's just everything's huge, everything's big, and everything's horrible, and life's coming to an end, and it's, all, it's over. It's curtains. We're, we're done here. I'm, I'm going to die. You ever feel that way? That'd be a really good time, don't you think? That'd be a really good time to begin praising God. Have you ever started to just praise God in the middle of that moment? In the middle of those moments when, when it's the darkest hour of the night and the circumstances are weighing on you so heavy you feel like you're going to die. That'd be a really good time to just start praising God and praying to God. And when God inhabits the praises, He in he eliminates the darkness. He gives us a new perspective, and we remember that it's Him who's on the throne, and I don't have to be. I don't have to be in charge of this deal. I have to trust God and His ability and His power. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. You believe that? Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. You purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, we can't be in two places. We can't have our minds focused on our own deal and focused on God at the same time. God invites us to follow Him and focus on Him. So we've talked about the purpose of worship, the power of worship. Number three, let's talk about the place of worship. When we think about the place of worship, we usually think about a church or a garden or a quiet spot or maybe in the woods or maybe in the mountains or some place where... You have a favorite place where you like to worship? Friends, what's important is we have both individual worship, we have both private worship, and we have public worship. But what's so important, what God wants us to know 
is just as important as having a place of worship is for a worship is for worship to have a place in us we all need a place of worship but worship needs to have a place in us when worship has a place in us then it's a natural response whether it's the middle of the night or the middle of the day or somewhere in between, when you're looking at your circumstances, you're focused on all the challenges and trials and tribulation, when worship has a place in us, it's a natural response to begin to worship, to gather together. One of the, one of the reasons it's so important for us to, to gather together publicly and worship, God promises that when we do that, He inhabits the praises of His people. He's here with us every time we gather for worship. So we need a private place of worship and we need a public way to express our worship. We need to be remembered that God is our Father and He loves us. And that's who we are, the one who is loved by God. And we need to remember how important it is to gather together and worship. And parents, parents, can I say something to you? Because I have an incredible burden for our kids and for the kids that are growing up in our culture. I have a burden that's so big for our kids that are growing up in our culture right now, I can't begin to even describe it to you. But parents, listen closely. There is going to come a day when we are all going to stand in front of God. Not because I say it, but because God so tells us that. He's going to draw us to himself. And in that day, when he asks you and me, and when he asks our children the question, what did you do with my son Jesus do you know him friends our kids our kids need to have the answer to that question and I'm so concerned I'm so concerned as I watch the way parents are teaching kids because kids teach by what we do or kids learn by what we do right you agree with that that kids learn more of by what we do than what we you know, say with me say so you can say what you want but it's what you do that the kids are going to remember and our kids our kids need to watch us worship. Our kids need to know that it's a priority. Our kids need to hear from us who Jesus is. We need to lead them to be worshipers. Because my concern is, if God were to ask the question, what, what were the priorities in your home? Some kids are going to say, well, we went to a lot of soccer games. 
We went to a lot of movies. We went to a lot of activities. We ran all the time. We were just constantly busy. All the time. We were so busy doing stuff. That must have been the priority. Being busy. But do you know Jesus? Do you know my son? Friends, please hear my heart. I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape, or form wanting to shame anybody or condemn anybody. I'm wanting to remind us of what's really important. Because I'm going to stand in front of God someday. And I'm going to be accountable for the way I raise my kids. For the way I influence my grandkids. I am. We all are. And so I'm just telling you, let's make sure we get this right. Let's make sure we get it right. Sports, all this stuff, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a great blessing and privilege that we get to live in a culture that gets to enjoy some of those things. But friends, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible replacement for God. It just is. So, let's make sure we get this right. We understand the purpose of worship, the power that's in worship to overcome our circumstances. And the place of worship is given priority. That Sunday is given priority. That every day we swing our legs over the edge of the bed and we begin the day with worship. So that our perspective and our orientation is always pointed in the right direction. Amen? Amen? In a moment, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing. But I just wonder if there's somebody here who has not yet said, God, I want to be a worshiper. I want to worship you. I'm going to, I'm going to reorient my life and my thinking away from some of the things that have been priority to me, and I'm going to make you my number one priority. I'm going to make you my focus, my object of worship. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. and Father, we're all asking right now that you would just move and draw us to yourself and purify us and cleanse us and reorient our lives. And for some of us, Father, we need to begin the journey with you. For some of us, we need to say to you for maybe the first time, God, I need to know you. I want to I be your son. I want to be your daughter. I want to know you and follow you and experience your love for me and your purpose and plan for my life. And I want to be able to overcome the circumstances. God, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace to be at work in my life. If that's you, if you're praying that maybe for the first time, would you just raise your hand right now and say, that's me, I'm praying that prayer. Praise God, thank you. Praise God. Father, as we continue to pray and as we continue to worship, I pray that you'll set us all free, reorient our lives around who you are, around your power, your plan, your purposes, your presence in our lives.
As I invite you to stand in a moment, I'm going to invite you to just come and worship here. Maybe to pray for someone else. Maybe to reorient your life. Maybe to rededicate your life. Whatever it is, this is a time when God is inviting us to come and worship and pray. Would you stand with me? Let's worship together in this last worship song. God's prompting you, tugging at your heart, speaking to you. Why don't you come and worship in prayer?